Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you, I want to give a shout out to all my East Coast friends I grew up with. Uh, your summer's finally here. I know Memorial Day came early this year. And it's crazy because in California, we've had such a warm, warm, warm winter. And all of a sudden, this weekend, when all my friends are going to the Jersey Shore, which I know I'll see, but... 87,000 pictures of you guys on Facebook wearing shorts and stuff like that. Enjoy yourself because you know what? Out here, it's overcast. I'm actually hosting a big brew festival on Saturday. Me and Joanna are going to San Diego with my friend, and I'm all excited. And it's supposed to be like 65, like the one day that I can be outside in the sun, you know, this big brew festival, and that happens. Anyway, we have a great show today. We have a we have a very talented actor. Uh, he's he's done two of my favorite shows recently on Homeland and Mad Men, of course. And it's Mark Moses. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing really good. How you doing, Steve? Good. It's funny. I, I was when I called you yesterday because you have such a distinctive voice. Oh, I mean, I love it. And when I was talking to you on the phone, I'm like, oh my god, it's Doc Phillips. I mean, that's <laughs> that's fanboying people. But um, now now you originally from the you were born in New York City. Yeah, I was born in uh, in Manhattan. My parents met there. My dad was an advertising exec. And uh, my mother was a, a stewardess, and uh, and she also designed um, windows now, for learners, yeah. And then you moved to Illinois. You went to school in Illinois? Or you... I went to Evanston, Evanston, Illinois, right next at, to Chicago. At what year did you move? I was three, so I really grew up in Chicago. Well, it's funny, because uh, I look at your background, and you know, you're know you an actor, but you, you were a good athlete in high school. I Yeah, I played uh, I played football and basketball at you're Evanston a, High School. You were a quarterback. I was a quarterback. See, that's the best, man. You must have gotten all the curls. You know, that's why I did it, I think, <laughs> and probably. But uh, yeah, it was, I had a lot of fun. You know, it was a great it was a great team. We had a great coach. And, you know, if you get one great coach, you sort of have a lot of lessons for life. But, you know, in high school, that's hard to get. But a guy named Mernie Lazier was terrific. And they named the football field after him. And, you know, that was the football coach. He was a – Evanston High School was a powerhouse back then. Now – when you were a kid, did mm-hmm. you ever think you would get into acting, or what was your? Did you want to be a pro athlete? And what were your aspirations when you were a little Mark? What was? Oh yeah, I wanted to be like a pro quarterback. That's the, that. Those are my dreams when I was growing up in high school, and I, I love sports. Um, you know, but my parents were both uh, very artistic. They were fine artists. They drew. My both of them were in art classes at some point. My dad in New York. My mom early on in her life, and they uh, they uh, had been in New York. Um, during the heyday of, of musicals with My Fair Lady and Music Man and West Side Story. And so they had those um, those uh, albums uh, stacked up next to their uh, next to their record player. And, and, and they'd been to New York and they were my dad writes. So there was a lot of um, art in, our, in my life growing up. But I never really thought I'd be an actor at all. Well, you went, your major in college was English, I believe. It was. At Ithaca, I was an English major. Now, where is, I know Ithaca's in New York. Where is that exactly in New York? Uh, it's in upstate New York. And if you asked me why I went there, I couldn't tell you. It just seemed to pop up at the time. I wasn't quite sure I was going to go. And they had a good football team, so I went up there to play football. And I ended up uh, in the uh, drama department there the second year and did some plays and had a couple of great acting teachers and uh, thought, well, you know, maybe I'll give this a shot because I didn't know what I was going to do. So you get, you graduate. Mm-hmm. And so now, do you? When when does it sit in your mind to say, okay, I'm going into acting. This is going to be my life. Well, I think after I went a couple of years to Ithaca, and then I just thought I was wasting my time there. So I I, got, I went back to Chicago. I worked. I traveled to Europe, and and at the time, I thought maybe I would give this acting thing a go. And so I auditioned for uh, New York University, and I got in. And I got in this program where Olympia Dukakis was my teacher. A guy named Peter Cass ran it, and they allowed uh, a lot of undergraduate kids into the grad program at the time. And I got in, and uh, it was great. You know, I had my own apartment. I was working as a bartender. I was constantly busy because I had no money, and uh, and that's how I kind of started. And I was in that program for three years. I probably could have gone two, but uh, his whole idea was get out as young as you can, and I, I sort of agree with that. You know, you want to get out and get in the business. So you think that? I mean, I, that's what I think. A lot of, I think that a lot of times with film school too. I, yeah. I think it's it's different now because it's so cheap to make a movie. But years right. ago, I would think a lot of times, why are you going to go to film school and spend that money when you got to spend more money? Because you know, films used to be so well, expensive. When I was there, they were all on East Seventh Street. The film department was right below, and NYU's film department was pretty famous. And and but it was amazing because I did about eight student films there, and each one, each kid got maybe a couple of 10-minute, five-minute films, and then only one or two got a half-hour film out of the whole class. That's how expensive it was. Now, today, of course, everybody can edit on their Mac 
and you know final cut everything they, they can do it right there but then just editing the film the whole process was very expensive so uh, school could schools could run kids tons of none of the kids their parents right well put the money up for the film well it's funny now I mean I, I think your son's graduating college is that he is graduating this year and uh, what's funny about college the price has changed I went to a small state school in New Jersey called Richard Stockton now mm-hmm. it's Richard Stockton not Stockton University but I remember when I went and I graduated college in 1986 and credits were $32.50. Okay. Uh-huh. I think the whole year costs whatever, living in the housing and everything costs you like 5000 uh-huh. Now it's like 20000 a semester. I'm like, and that's cheap. No, I mean, there's no way I could have afforded uh, North, uh, New York University. Any, but, I mean, I think I left with maybe 15000 in loans. Now you could leave with $240,000 in loans. It's crazy. And I don't know how you, you know. You can't get, yeah, you're going to have to have a, get a really good job. You have to get school. a really good job. You have to, you know, if you're an actor, you better just stop acting. <laughs> yeah. Just go to Wall Street and just to pay it off. You know, so. so, so you graduate yeah. and now do you start looking for an agent or how does your path start to where you are now? How did, how did well, it started, I mean, it, I think it started out of sheer panic. I just didn't want, uh, you know, I'd done everything growing up. I'd mowed lawns, painted houses, done construction, um, worked as a bartender, a waiter. I'd done so many manual labor jobs that I just really wanted to make sure I was going to make a living as an actor. And uh, I got very fortunate at these auditions after after the school ended. And I had a choice of agents, which was great. Um, you know, it's fortunate. Somebody came out in this uh, thing called the League Auditions and raised her, uh, her hand during the coffee break and said, I want Mo- Mark Moses on the edge of night or something. And then I got a call from every agent. And now, when did you? What was your first paid gig as an actor? Do you remember? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I did some summer stuff, which paid like you know minimal Shakespeare festivals. But my equity card was at the Longmore Theater in a play called uh, Another Country, uh, with Peter Gallagher and Peter McNichol, and it was this play about eating schoolboys, and it was it was great. That's so funny because you know you, you yeah. think and um, Peter Gallagher and Peter McNichol are both. Great actors. Right. I mean, Peter right. Gallagher is in a movie called uh, The Idol Maker, which a lot of people haven't seen. It was a years great ago. Show, and years it was ago. great. But it's funny, like those guys, your contemporaries, and it must be cool because now you guys all work and you're like, okay, well, you know, I mean, do you run, do you still keep in touch with them? Yeah, I run into Peter at a golf course. I haven't seen Peter McNichol in years, but Peter McNichol had just come off of Sophie's Choice. So these were kind of the hot actors. And I got my equity card at the Long Wharf Theater, which was great. And then I, then I was on Broadway at, out of school in about six months, uh, replacing Val Kilmer and Slab Boys okay. with Sean Penn and Kevin Bacon. So initially getting out of school, things really worked out. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, now now you're working around and what was your first big movie role? Was it Born in Fourth? I mean, you, you were born in Fourth of July. But... Uh, yeah, but my my first film I did was Platoon. Okay. That now, was the first film I did. How did that come? I mean, that's, that's a pretty damn good ridiculous. first film. I mean, it was how, sort of crazy. How did that come about? Uh, I met Oliver Stone in New York, and he was seeing people for this film. I ran into McGinley on the street. He said, you got to read this film. And so I read the script, and I thought it was terrific. And he was having actors come in and do monologues. So I went in, and I pulled out some monologues I had. I think I did David Mamet. I did something else. And he said, I love it. I love it. Come on back tomorrow and bring me a couple more. I'm like, my God, i got to go back, and I memorize something else. And then he joked, and he said, listen. I've cast everything. Everything's been cast. I said, what about Tex? He goes, I, I got a guy from Texas. It turned out he was from Beverly Hills uh, <laughs> named David Nydorf. But he said, but you know, right now, I'll tell you what, I'll cast you as a part called Fushang and we'll go from there. And I went, Fushang? He went, yeah, Fushang. And so I didn't think much of it. I went back to my agent. I called him. He said, don't, we didn't know. Oliver Stone's crazy. Don't, you know, forget Oliver Stone. And that that year I moved and came to Los Angeles and uh, ended up trying to look him up. And Oliver Stone. Like, Oliver Stone. Trying, trying to find him because he said I could be in his movie, right? And so I, uh, I, I, I basically asked the agents, and they said we don't deal with him. He's nuts. But we, we do know someone across the, uh, across the hallway who's in rock and roll, and she knows him. Name was Maggie Abbott. She knows Oliver Stone. You can get his number from him. So I uh, got the number, called him, went to his house. And he was dealing with all these actors, some dropping out, some not. And eventually it worked out that he gave me the role of Lieutenant Wolf. So. Now, where did that shoot? The Philippines. Now, okay. So now, had you, had you been to the Philippines before? No, I'd never been really to a third world country. And so, so what was that? I mean, first, you're a young guy. It's your first role. And you're working with, a, a, I mean, it ended up being a classic. And Oliver Stone was, you know, crazy, but yeah. a great director. What's it like being a young, I mean, was it intimidating a little bit? Cause oh, it was totally intimidating. And, and, you know, it was the time when Corazon Aquino just uh, came, became in charge of, of the country. And so there were a lot of guys walking around on rooftops with weapons. And, of course, Oliver was just using this to his advantage going, listen, he was saying, we got to go out to the jungle, but you know, 
we've got a lot of uh, dissidents from the previous administration out there with rifles, and we just don't know whether we're going to get killed or not. So keep your heads down. I mean, he just was frightening the crap out of all of us. And uh, and so we spent three weeks in the jungle, you know, losing a lot of weight and learning about uh, soldiers in the Vietnam era and going through a boot camp. So it was actually incredibly fascinating. And, and Tom Berenger would turn to me and say, you know, you're never going to do a movie like this again, you know, where you get to actually sort of do method work for three weeks and we're, we're, we're calling each other by our character names. And I was like, no, come on, Tom, they're all like this and none of them ever were. <laughs> so. Well, you know, it's amazing that you think about it, you know, you, you get this role mm-hmm. and it's your movie. And so... Every actor thinks, because my girlfriend's doing some extra work right now for just, she doesn't want to be an actress, but she's, yep. she has a side company. So she goes and she goes, oh, well, it's great. We go to craft services, this and that. And as an actor, you're probably thinking, oh man, I'm in this big Hollywood movie. And then you sit there and go, wait a second. This, this I mean, it's probably completely well, different. Well, you know, the, the, the different thing about that one was it actually was not a big Hollywood movie. It was made for $5 million. Most people don't know that. It was also a non-union film, which no, most people don't know. Really? And now that I've, you know, I was a delegate for SAG after last year, so I got involved with the union. But, you know, at the time, if the producer was out of country and the film was shooting out of country, it could be technically non-union. So really, that film, no one makes any residuals in that film. That's why you see it so often on cable. People sell the product and the, comp- the company, whatever, whoever runs it, whether it's AMC, right. whoever runs it, doesn't pay any residuals on that one piece. So it was a, actually a, uh, an incredible film for the amount of money Oliver Stone spent. Now, you, the film gets done and it mm-hmm. wins an Oscar. It wins an Oscar. And so what, what does that do to your career? Because now you're someone who... Thank God you weren't Fang Shui or whatever. No, you know? no. I mean, it was like, it was such a Hollywood lesson because I'd come and it was, I was very fortunate. I, I auditioned for a Clint Eastwood film called Heartbreak Ridge and they wanted me in. It was going to go to uh, the Caribbean. It's going to be great. My agents were so psyched about it. And I told them I wanted to do the platoon instead. So they said, well, when you get back, you can look for a new agent because you're an idiot. And uh, it was maybe the, I got to work with Clint Eastwood, fortunately, on Letters from Iwo Jima years later. But uh, this was something I just I, it's like, why did they have to happen at the same time? Why do they both have to be lieutenants? And when I came back, of course, uh, the movie was a hit and they didn't get rid of me. But uh, kind of a lesson in Hollywood, you know, you're only as good as your last film. Exactly. <laughs> no, did, but did you have more heat on you now because you oh, yeah, were yeah, in this no, movie? I came back and. They're taking me out to lunch, and I was going to meet people, and I met a lot of great people. I, you know, I'd go for meetings, and you know, it was all sort of being tossed in my face really fast. Well, what I see as I look through your IMDb is um, mm-hmm. Oliver used you in a few other movies. He used you in The Doors, and now did, 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 did you have to audition for them, or did he like you and just said, hey, you know, Mark, we have this part. I want you to come in, like born on the 4th of July. Well, you know, sometimes you came in for an audition, and sometimes you didn't, and it just depended on what Oliver needed. There was a couple of films I was cast in which didn't happen. I thought I was going to be in. I thought I was going to be in Wall Street. That didn't happen. And then born on the 4th of July, he took a lot of us and put us in smaller roles throughout that film. And also uh, The Doors came up, and I played a guy named Jack Holtzman who was in charge of... Uh, their producer. So, you know, it, it was interesting. I, I liked working with Oliver. He's a very, very good filmmaker. Well, you've had a fascinating career. And it's funny, as I, you were on this single guy, which I liked. I mean, I was, I was on those shows. I thought that was a funny show. And you played the husband, the, the stuffy husband. I played, yeah, the Jessica Hex uh, husband on that show. Well, you, before that, you were in a series called Grand. Mm-hmm. But now, was a single guy one of your first opportunities to do comedy? Because as I look at your resume, you know, I see like, you know, the diagnosis murder and this, but not a lot of yeah. comedy. And were you yeah. ready to do comedy? Yeah. The first one I did when I first came to Los Angeles and then ran away, uh, fled, was uh, Family Ties uh, years ago. And um, and so, yeah, I, I'd been doing some sitcoms. I would always get called in for sitcoms. I, I wasn't quite sure why, but I, I did a lot of comedy. I did uh, Golden Girls, which people always see, you know, in reruns. And uh, that's where I met Mark Cherry. And then I did three of Mark Cherry's shows. Uh, one was The Crew. One was the five Mrs. Buchanan's, and he also I did the spec script for Golden Girls. So when he first started becoming a writer with his partner, I was the kid. I was the illegitimate child of Rue McClanahan, and uh, so Mark remembered me. And then eventually, Mark wrote Desperate Housewives, and I got the role of Paul Young. So uh, that I, I did actually start doing a lot of comedy. And then, of course, after Paul Young, I've done very little since. <laughs> well, yeah. well, it's funny, though, because as I said, you look and you've been yeah. on three, I mean, three very influential. Desperate Housewives, when it came out, yeah. blew up. I it, mean, was, uh, it was huge when it blew up. Now, as an actor, and, uh, you know, a lot of times I talk to actors and they they think a project's going to be a hit. Or they think a project's going to 
not a hit. Mm-hmm. But when you did Desperate Housewives, did you say this is? I mean, because that became like a sensation. Like that made cougars like happening. I mean, before that, no yeah. one's really talking about cougars, and all of a sudden, everyone's like, "Oh my God, these women!" And did you know when you read that script, it would be something big? I didn't know. I mean, I thought it would be picked up. Uh, Stephen McPherson, who was in charge of ABC at the time, was really behind it, and also. A comedy that was a soap opera at night hadn't been done. I mean, you know, Dallas was sort of, you know, semi-serious. But Mark had a real tongue-in-cheek aspect to uh, Desperate Housewives, and nothing at the time was like it. And the the strange thing was is nothing really came out for years afterwards that copied it. You know, you see a lot of shows, and you'll see uh, a show that's a hit, and then they'll try to copy it. People didn't until Cougars came out, which was how many years later? Yeah. But I, I look back at Desperate Housewives and I, I look at it and I go, you know, it was the beginning of casting women, uh, really casting them on television over 40. And I thought uh, Desperate Housewives was one of those first shows that started off where women were being used that, you know, usually by the time they were 40, they that was the end of the career. And that was sort of the start of using, I think, uh, many women over 40 in television. And also it was a well-written show and fun to do. Now, when would you start getting recognized? Because I'm sure American, I mean, Desperate Housewives has mm-hmm. the uh, has the fan base. I mean, you know, there's certain yes. fan bases that yes. are just like, as I say, a soap opera fan. You know, you talk to these soap opera guys. This guy, Tal Penglis, who's been in everything. He was on my mm-hmm. show. And this guy can't go anywhere. I mean, I tweeted he was on a show and all these women, like, and they're all older women, are right. tweeting me like, oh, when, when, when? I'm like, I never get this many tweets. What the hell's going no, on? No, and there's a, different, there's a different fan base for every show. You, f- you start finding out what people want, watch what shows. Back then, what would you get recognized for? Did you get recognized for Desperate Housewives? I got, rec- I got recognized initially every, every time you're on like a, a major network TV show. Back then, especially like, say, Single Guy, before we had all the cable channels, you were recognized for being on the Single Guy. Once it was off for a few years, not so much. And then, uh, and then Desperate Housewives, you get a lot of that. You get mothers, daughters, women mostly. Men they, the first year. Men the, the first yeah. year. And then they don't want to admit that, it. They didn't want to admit, <laughs> admit they watched it. Or occasionally they'd shrug and go, yeah, I watch it with my girlfriend. And then, uh, you know, if you do something like Mad Men, you get a lot of... Uh, 20-year-old New York barrister is going, I know you're, you're Doug Phillips, uh, so it's got a big young uh, uh, demographic watching Mad Men. I want to talk more about your career, but I want to talk about the two shows that I brought up in the beginning, yep. because, especially because Mad Men just ended. Once again, how did that role come up about, and did you know, I mean, because Mad Men is, it, Mad Men was like the smart, like the smart person's, right. I hate to say it like this, I'm like judgy, but you don't, yeah. guys who watch, you know, uh, whatever, like the travel channel, like one right. of those shows like Backyard Pickers aren't going to watch Mad Men. Right. So, I mean, when you read the first script and when you got called in, when what season did you go in? I went in the first season. Okay, now did you... The end of the first season into the second. And I, and I, and it was, unlike, unlike Desperate Housewives, I didn't start off with the show. I watched the show. Now, were you a fan? Were you excited when you were going to get an audition for well, it? Well, I think like everybody else watching that show, first of all, you had to find it. It was on AMC. Second, but but it attracted my attention because my father was in advertising. Okay. And he uh, worked on Madison Avenue, and so it was a world that I was seemed I was familiar with. I was familiar with his friends. I was familiar with his sales friends. I I saw that world uh, growing up, and uh, it just struck a chord in me. So I called my agent up and I said, can you get me up for this show? He said, yeah, I'll give it a try. And the next thing, this role, Duck Phillips came up and I went in and uh, I was with a bunch of different people, a bunch of different actors, all good actors, different types. And, uh, talked to Matt and, uh, obviously I, you know, I impressed him. And so I got the role and it was great. What was the breakdown for that role? Like when you sit there, you know, you look at it, it said, what was the casting call? Like you sit there and see when you were going in, how would you, what were you playing it as? And did you sit there and because you had your father's friends who were advertising, did right. you have that? Maybe, maybe I put a little bit of dad's friends, Joe, or, you know, in it, or how did that go? Um, you know, I, I think I talked about my father being in New York and growing up at that time and uh, the martini lunches and other things that I remember from it. I don't remember the breakdown that much. I don't know if it said he was a recovering alcoholic or he was an alcoholic. I wasn't quite sure. But what he was was a guy with a troubled past who was coming back from London 
who had lost a job and was looking for another one. But he was a player. He was a really big player. And that's sort of that's how he's introduced on the first season, uh, coming in to basically shake up the agency and get more business. And that's what he was. Now, did you know once you got cast for that first season, yep. did you know you would be on the second season? I mean, or did they say you're coming back or it was was it just I mean, a lot of times people say they go on, they audition and they go and oh, my God. I never thought I'd be on it. Eight years later, I'm still on a show. What was your, did you think you were just a one and done or? Well, I, I think that Matt knew I was going to be back, but they were, they were sort of saying, yeah, you'll be back for three shows. And then how about two more? And then how about three more? And then how about four more? You know, so I think the second season I did most of them, um, which I didn't know, but I think they did. I think they knew what the plot line was going to be and that Duck Phillips was involved. Now, I've heard it's a very... Uh, That's a negotiating thing, yeah. by the way. <laughs> if I don't know, it's better for them, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, why don't you come back for two more? Uh, I, same price, maybe a little bump, you know. Whatever. It's Yeah, one of my guests said yeah. that too. He said, yeah, oh, they, they, that's I was on a show was. and they're like, well, he's do, doing... He goes, they never liked me on the show. And they're like, well, he's auditioning for this pilot. They're like, oh, okay, okay. And it's like, well, you're supposed to negotiate that they're going. Right. So now I've heard it was a very secretive set. What is that like? Because I heard you got your script. I think you only got your scenes or how did that work? Um you know, there are a lot of shows that say, don't, you know, please don't tell the secrets. And even Desperate Housewives did that for a little bit because, you know, what's in the trunk? What's in the trunk that Paul Young is Barrett, you know, shoved in the lake or something? Um, Matt was, of course, we would all do a reading and he'd make a speech every time saying, you know, please do not tell anyone about any aspect of the script. And nobody really did. And, but I think people that enjoy a show really wouldn't want to look it up anyway. And if they are the type of person that wants to find out what happens beforehand, they watch it anyway. Right. So I, I don't really know if that does any good, but it certainly adds to the mystery and the uh, ambiance of, of, of the readings, you know, well, what, what, a certain tension. What, what I hate about this TV it. now is yeah. because the night of the finale, mm -hmm. my girlfriend doesn't watch the show. My buddy was coming over and I usually watch it at seven because it my cable has the East Coast feed. Right. But I had to wait because he's, he's like, oh, I got to come over. I got to come over. I said, okay, I'll, I'll record it at 7. You get off work at 9.30, come over, we'll watch it. Well, then the thing that sucks these days is you can't go on social media because people get, hey, because uh, I have my no. friends back East. Hey, uh, he... He, there's a Coca-Cola commercial. I would have thought, what? You know, but it just, it's, that's what sucks. You don't People want to hear spoil that. spoil it all the they time. They do spoil it, and they also spoil it on shows that stream. I mean, Mad Men, maybe not so much. At least in Mad Men, you can have the Monday morning uh, talk around the water cooler about the show. Where shows like House of Cards, you know, people could watch all 12 in a, a weekend. And then you just got to catch up and go, no, no, don't tell me. Don't tell me I'm only on episode three. I know. That's so whole... that's that's the thing. That's the sort of thing you miss about the uh, about a show coming on once a week. You could have the conversation on Monday with your fellow workers about what did you think of Game of Thrones this week or whatever right. it might be. Now, as an actor who's been, I mean, and you've been, you know, before social, I mean, before social media and all streaming and stuff, mm -hmm. as an actor, it uh, do you find it weird that someone may be sitting there, like if someone wanted to see Desperate Housewives, they could watch it, the whole series in a few days. Is yeah. that weird for an actor? Do you th think that gives you oversaturation or do you think it gets to know your character better? I don't think it's weird if I get a residual for it. Okay. Then but I think it's just absolutely great. But I, um, in terms of social media, I do think it's moving too fast for me at least. The Twitter stuff is just crazy. You know, you've got, you've got actors out there, uh, every actor's on Twitter now, whether they're writing it or somebody else is writing it or to immediately have access to someone who, you know, might be a star. You might be talking to them or might be talking to whoever's working for them or doing it for them. Um, you know how valuable that is? I don't know. People say it's ext extremely valuable. I always thought it was more valuable for, you said you had comedians on your show when you first started. I always thought Twitter's incredibly valuable to say, I'm going to be at Mandalay Bay at this time. And you send it out to all your followers and they either go there or they don't. I'm going to be in Chicago at this time or New York. That seems great. But now actors are putting out their thoughts on, on Twitter and it's... Do you tweet? I, I, I've sort of been forced to put have a Twitter page, but I, I'm not reluctant. I just forget to do it. What am I going to say? Every once in a while I say, this show's coming out and it's really good or watch Mad Men. And then you have to, someone says, well, you got to put hashtag Mad Men or hashtag this. That, and I'm, like, I'm like, what? You so, know, that, that that confuses me too. Cause yeah. I, I, uh, I, I, I sometimes I tweet jokes cause I write jokes. I yeah. tweet stuff and I'll tweet stuff about TV mm -hmm. and, and stuff, but that's always cracks me up. Like, yeah, like the hashtag and I put it, but I go, well, wait a second. If I hashtag Mad Men, if you go to the page that says hashtag Mad Men, well, if I just type Mad Men, 
people find it anyway. And I said, and do people actually sit there and go to the hashtag Mad Men and read all the tweets? It's confusing to me. There was a hashtag Mad Men finale recently. Right. So, so it's like there's so many hashtags I, I, I don't want to make out of it. So, so I'm, I'm still trying to catch up with uh, social media, as my son will tell me. Okay, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's crazy. I mean, you know, I say, even I was thinking when you're saying, you know, when you start out acting, you yeah. know, getting an agent. And I was talking about this to a comic uh, was on the other day. Back then, you had to like put a package together. And it, oh, cost, you did. it cost you like money. Like and it wasn't like, hey, here's my link. I mean, now like people go, I can't get an agent. I, I go, I go, are you even trying? I said, you know, I mean, you, ha- you just have to put your package together, your resume, a picture. If you did comedy, Not a to video. mention like the player's guide. Right. It was the player's guide, which came out like a phone book yeah. of actors. <laughs> and then you could choose whether you were character or leading man. And it was so funny to see people go, well, you know, I'll put them in both just to cover all my bases. Or the leading man that's getting too old that really should go to character, but he doesn't, you know. <laughs> so all that stuff, all that stuff is gone. Now, when you Thank were God. when you were younger, mm-hmm. I mean, what was what was your audition like? Now you play like you know on Mad Men, you play an executive, you can play, you can play a doctor, I and mean, you have that yep. look, you can play anything. When you were younger, were they sitting there going, because you're a big, you're a tall guy, you're a good looking guy, yep. were you sitting there going, okay, he'll be you know such and such love interest, or how are they casting you when you when you um, started out? You know, when you first start out. And you're an actor and you're taller than, say, six feet. You'll have a problem playing somebody's son. Right. Okay. And the only person I played, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, their son was Chris Christopherson, who looked at me and said, you know, he's a little taller than me, but so's my kid. Big deal. But usually, whoever the guy is, they want to be taller than their son. And and what's funny is how tall are you? Uh, six one. Okay. Um, I'm not that tall, but, but I mean, I'm taller than, say, you know, if you audition for Paul Newman. You're not gonna play his son because you're taller and bigger than him. And that that's always cracks me up because you know I I because I encounter uh, actors I I see the different sizes and sometimes you know you see someone on screen and you think okay this guy's gonna be towering because I've had I had a run where I, all these guys were over six foot and I look like a mm. dwarf next to them. one guy was like <laughs> six four I'm like oh great and then this actor comes in who always plays a tough guy yeah. and I'm thinking okay I'm thinking you know. He called me on the phone. He's got that distinct voice. Right. And he comes in and he's like five seven. And I'm like, wait a second. It's just weird how it's portrayed. And I guess you're right because a kid, you, you're, if you're taller, all of a sudden people are going to go, yeah, Paul Newman's a shrimp. You know. It's right. Like, they don't want you to, you know, stand right next to them at times. So there, there's parts where I just thought, no, I'm not going to get this part on this, you know, because the guy who I know is the lead in this is is small, and I'm going to look like a giant unless they want a giant, you right. know, to beat him up, and then they then they go to you know, big big. Uh, bad guys to beat you up, you know, and I'm not going to get that role. So, you know. Now, have you ever been killed on screen? And what oh, was that? God, yeah. And what, now, what is that like? I mean, have you been shot where they, they hook you up or, I mean, or what is it, what is the experience? And What's it when like? You, when, and when you read the script, do you sit there and one, one, if it's a series, you're probably like, oh, man, they're killing me. But if it's in a movie, though, do you sit there and go, wait, they're, I mean, what, how do you, when you read a script yeah. and it says, you're going to die, especially if you get a part and you don't think you're okay. going to die. Well, I've got, I've got, I've been killed many times on television, many, many times. Even Platoon, I was killed in Platoon. Um, but the one the one uh, show that I thought was funny, they had a show called, Mark Valley did a show called Human Target. Yeah, I know, Mark, yeah. And nice guy. And uh, it was shooting up in Vancouver, and they sent it to me, and they said, Mark, we'd really like you to do the pilot episode for this. Um, director was, um, oh, gosh, I'll remember in a second, Australian guy, great director. Anyway. We're doing this, and 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 they. I open the script, and they say, "We want you in this because we want someone that the audience will know. And if they know it's you, they won't know he's going to die in the first five, ten minutes of the show." And I went okay, and I opened the script, and there was a guy I'm supposed to play, and he's in a bank, and he's got bombs strapped around his chest, and he has a shotgun. And I said, "You know, it doesn't matter if it's me or not. They know this character's going to die." <laughs> <laughs> and I did after, of course, getting completely pummeled by Mark Valley in this long choreographed fight we did. He then, I then stand up at the end and I get the bomb and he shoots me in the chest. I let go and I, I'm blown to smithereens. That was a pretty good death. Now, how does that, is that, I mean, how does the blown to smithereens happen? I mean, I mean, you have to see something. How do they technically do that? I mean, because now it's more advanced. But Human Target was what, eight years ago? Right. How did they sit there where you, you're getting blown, I mean, does a bomb blow up? I mean, what, the what? bomb is on my chest, and and I said some smart Alec line like I'm going to get revenge, and he says no, you're not, and I said I said something smart, and he shoots me, and of course my thumb comes off the button, and the next thing you do is see an exterior explosion of the whole okay. bank blowing up. Um, but there are other times 
I was killed in a movie called Someone to Watch Over Me that Ridley Scott did. With Tom Berenger. And it was with Tom and uh, Mimi Rogers. And uh, the scene called for uh, the bad guy to stab me in the neck with an ice pick. And so all morning, I put on this beautiful, you know, tuxedo. I put on prosthetics. There was a tube running up my leg. And then on action, after all the smoke is laid in, because Ridley shot with a lot of smoke back then, uh, the guy took the ice pick, which was retractable, and stuck it in my neck. And a guy with a pump pumped the blood, and it shot up in the air. And it, you know, it was like a fountain of blood. And I hear, cut, cut, cut. And Ridley comes up and goes, that is just way too much. So hours later, new tuxedo. Prosthetics again, this time half the amount. <laughs> do the same thing. Ridley goes, just hold your hand like this. Let the blood come out. Again, we do it. Blood squirting out. Cut. Way too much. We did this three times with three different tuxedos, three different shirts. Get it. And the fourth time, they just walked up with a red pencil and put a dot on my <laughs> neck because, because the ice pick going into my neck was so violent anyway, you didn't need the blood coming out. So there's many ways to die in Hollywood, and I've probably done most of them. It must be crazy, though, when you sit there and do the prosthetics, and you, you're saying, I hope I get this done in one take, and then all yeah. of a sudden, and then, you know, the crew's probably getting a little irritated, like, wait, you know, because people get antsy. They're like, Can Yeah, we but back then, in those days, they had a lot of time to make a movie, especially someone like Ridley Scott, who's painting pictures all the time, and he makes beautiful films, and, you know, one of the great things about being on a film back then was it took a lot of time. You, you, made, you made quite a bit of money, because films ran over, always ran over, in terms of budget, in terms of time, and, you know. Now, you said you, uh, it, you had the fight scene yeah. with Mark Valley. Yeah. Now, how is that process for the choreographing? How long did they sit there, and do you ever worry that you're going to get, I mean, you're supposed to fake it, but no, do you ever I worry? No, got, I, got, I got so bruised up on that one. The, the, the guys who did the choreography, they were a Canadian group of guys. They were very good. But they just done the Watchmen. Okay. And if you watch the Watchmen, you'll see fights that go from beginning to end with very few cuts. And so when I got up there, most of the time you do a fight or something on screen, and it's, it's just in pieces. You know, punch here, punch here, duck, cut, right? They had us rehearsing this fight from beginning to end every time we did it. So straight, just a straight one take? Through just... the entire weekend. I had to get up there early. So for three days, I'm doing the fight choreography. How, how long was the fight, when you did it from beginning to end, how long of a scene was it? It probably was like three minutes. So you're fine. And the funny thing you don't get yeah. is you get exhausted. I mean, right. doing that really tires you out. People think, oh, yeah, boxers. No. You know, if you get and in the I'm ring... the one getting hit. Right. He's not getting hit. <laughs> In fact, we kept doing it again and again, and I kept getting so bruised that by the time we started it, I had the pads around here, elbow pads, a back pad, knee pads, thigh pads. I was getting hit everywhere. And right before the take, I got up, and, you know, I've got all this stuff on. It took a long time to get on. And the guy said, did you put this on? And he holds up a cup. And I went, oh, come on. He goes, no, no, let's, I think you should put this on. He goes, he's never, you know, this starts off, he kicks me in the chest. He's never going to kick me there. He's never done it. Guy goes, just put it on. So I get back, go back to the trailer, get undressed, put this cup on. They yell action, and Mark Valley kicks me square in the nuts in the first oh. day. <laughs> square in the nuts. So thank you very much, stunt guys. Because yeah, you, you wouldn't think that. Yeah, it's like one of those things, especially if you're with another no, guy, you're not going to say. On action, you know, an actor says action, and all of a sudden, instead of just being pretend, you know, a little more energy comes into it, the adrenaline starts to flow, and you never know what's going to happen. You just never know where, where it's going to land. So now I want to go back to Mad Men again because it's just yeah. it's, such it's a, the flavor of the week. I mean, I, I think this is the first time in the New York Times I haven't read about it. Yeah, today. I, it's weird. I mean, between this and Letterman. No, in fact, it wasn't today. It was about, you know, but it's been every day in well, the paper. It, that's the, the media does it now. Like, I remember when Friends went off the air. It was, it was I, I think I tweet, I wrote, I told a joke on stage. And I said, right. hey, did, does anyone know when Friends has gone off the air? Because it was on everywhere. Like, you sit there. It's like you get, like, the Wall Street Journal. Friends is leaving. You get, like, right. the Filipino newspaper. You know, Friends is leaving. Right. Mad Men. Now, you, now, did you know you'd be around for the duration? Or did you? was there a time where you thought you might? Like Doc might disappear because you would come back and then you disappear, then you come back, and yeah. then you dated Peggy. Yeah, well, they had a they had a technical advisor that would talk to Matt oftentimes in the show Bob, and he uh, he tried to figure out a way to bring Duck back because how do you bring guy a guy back who's been fired so many times from so many places? And he said he'd be a headhunter. That's what he'd be. So that's how Matt figured out a way to bring Duck back. And then I started, you know, working with uh, uh, who was it first? Uh, you know, it was it was Pete. Usually Pete talking to Pete about getting another job, and I always had scenes with Pete or Peggy, you know, trying to get Peggy to leave and come join uh, whatever plans Duck had for. Her. Um, so Matt thought of these ways to bring me back, um, 
but I didn't know if I was going to be back. In fact, there was one year I wasn't back at all. So, uh, now how do people react to you? Because as I said, once again, it's crowd madmen. Yeah. It's and it's you'd think like anything. It's probably not the oh screaming crowd, but then no. you go every crowd's like that because no matter what, you know. How do people react when they would see you out? Would they say? Because some people create react. Right. They can't well, tell. They, they, they just, I think that Matt just wrote a great character with Duck Phillips. And, you know, with a name like Duck, they always remember Duck. Right. That's, that's when, they, a, when they react, when you do something like Homeland, they reacted like, oh, my God. Yeah, I want to talk about that because God, I can't believe what an awful guy you were. You, you know, you're in that show, you're swarmy. I that's a word. Very, oh, it's like it's, just such a me and my uh, girlfriend, traitorous. We hated you. And, and we like, hated yeah. you. But then it's like, yeah. and I'm like, but that, that, I said, he's, well, you're, you're stuck, stuck sort of a, a, a a jerk. He he's yeah. Duck 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 can be annoying too. Yeah. Now is it is is it easy for you to like when you play a a character like Duck? Mm-hmm. Once you start playing it and you see the guy doesn't really have ethics. Mm-hmm. Do you like roles like that? Is that do you like to sit there and go, okay, this is really going to be fun, or do you sit there and you get really serious in the bay and like, okay, I really have to nail it this way, this way? You just say this role is just going to be fun because you, I mean, Duck could do anything. I mean, if right. Duck shows up at last, uh, the last episode drunk, or right. he's trying to get Pete, you know, I guess he fell off the wagon. Right. And uh, what is that? Is that does that get ex- get excited when the, the character was had a lot of flexibility? Uh, he did. You know, he didn't. Uh, it's funny. My my son who was at Northwestern, was studying a class called Mad Men. They had an actual class in it. And so I went into talk and they asked me, uh, one, of the, one of the students asked me a very similar question about, you know, how do you prepare? What's this? What's that? And, and I would say that there was a certain flexibility um, with Duck, but Duck had, Duck had a background and a character who was um, really boxed in. To, uh, you know, he was a Marine and he was a hard worker and work meant everything. So there were limitations. Whereas Dennis Boyd on Homeland, I would get the script not knowing really where it was going. And at times with Duck, I mean, Matt told me the second year that I was a Marine. I didn't know this. But, you know, as as it evolved I, I, uh, with Homeland, I would look up at uh, at uh, Claire Danes and she'd be reading the script early because she's a producer. And she'd look at me and shake her head and go... Oh, I'm so sorry. And I'd go, what, <laughs> what, what's going on? He goes, I, you know, you're going to get this tomorrow, but I, you know, it's, it, it'll be fun to act, Mark. And I'd go, oh boy, I must be doing some terrible stuff on this. And I knew that I was going to be causing trouble, but I had no idea that it would go in that direction. So oh. I think when you look, to answer your question, when you look at these characters, I don't really look at it like, you know, oh, I've got this bad guy. I look at it, a person who's trying to achieve something. Okay. And the writers are usually determining what I'm going to, how I'm going to achieve it. Like I had a hard time at one point when I talked to Alex Gans about this and Howard Gordon about why is my character not helping uh, my wife write a resignation and get, get the hell out of, ba- get the hell out of Pakistan. And uh, uh, they told me that they had edited scenes okay. from the second episode that I did. So I didn't have any of my questions. I went, so it just ended with me hearing her talking about me and he goes, yeah. And then you're just still pissed. And I went, oh, Okay, so all the other stuff, not the reconciliation, but the fight, and the, we've cut all that. And I was like, oh, my God. So my question, you know, coming from an actress point of view, made sense. Why don't I help her write a resignation and get out? But for some reason, Dennis went way beyond that. Oh, and he started getting off on the fact that he was being, that he was finally in the limelight and doing something exciting. It was a little like, um, you know, uh, Walter White in, in Breaking Bad. He got all, he started getting off on it, and that's that's what happened to him. That's that's where the character was going. But I didn't know week to week where it was going. Yes. Okay. So when you when you got Homeland, which I believe shot in Johannesburg. No. No, it actually shot in Cape Town. Okay, Cape Town. Yeah. Now, when you got that, it was down the road. It was on a few seasons. Mm-hmm. Were you excited when you did, and did, I said you know did you know the even though you get the oh, script? Did I you, was thrilled because I was a big Homeland fan anyway. And I just thought, this is going to be great. I actually went up for a role earlier that Michael O'Keefe got. Okay, he so played. I thought I was going to play that role. And then they called up and said, no, we have this other role for you. And it turned out to be a terrific role. And uh, it was great because it's a small cast. Uh, the writing's great. The acting's great. Um, you know, I got to work with Claire Danes. And I got to work with uh, Lila Robbins, who played the ambassador, my wife. And it was it was terrific. I had a, I had a wonderful time. Well, it is. That's one of those shows. It's just my girlfriend watched it the first year. And she's like, you gotta, she, we, were in, we were in a long distance relationship oh. at the time. She goes, you have to watch this show. And I'm usually like, when I first came out, I'm like, yeah, you know, and it's one of those things, the binge watching. You it's sit so there, addictive. And the yeah, first season yeah. was so and addictive. And on Showtime, what would suck is if you have it on demand. So mm-hmm. if there's 10 seasons, you, you watch the five, and you're like, wait, now I got to get a, 
wait a week, you know, and then right. not, and then thinking, right. well, wait a second, when we were kids, we always waited a week, you know, we were exactly. talking about that earlier. Yeah. Now, did you get hate mail for that or did people, cause your character, I mean, when you sit there, you are, uh, I mean, you're a traitor. It's, it's not like, right. it's not like you're sitting there and you're playing someone who, you know, murders his wife because you played that before and people understand, oh, he murders his wife. It's, it's a movie. It's called, you know, murdering Joe. Or right. Whatever. Exactly. But for this, it's, you're, you're touching on a role that is in such, in our country at such a huge, I mean, you're, you're a treason. You're a, you're basically a spy. I mean, you, right. I mean how does that, when you, did you know, you sit it's there? interesting. There were, there were, Dennis actually had in the, um, I don't think there'll be an unedited version of Homeland. I think they'll put out the same version they, they aired. But oftentimes, Dennis would have a certain political um, bent. And I actually had things to say as to why I backed up, why, why I backed up my stance. I said, I've been in countries. I, there, were, there were lines that I had where I said, I've been in countries. I've watched you guys. You know, you continue to screw up and you do it anyway. In spite of yourselves, you keep screwing up, not those words, again and again. And those lines were eventually nipped out. But he had he had his own point of view being a teacher and at, if, if, at the beginning of it, which, which uh, you know, it sort of blows by pretty fast. But he's 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 teaching foreign relations in a foreign country and he's got his own ideas about it. And he's not a big fan of the CIA. Um, a lot of those things were kind of uh, went by. But he, he had he had his own ideas about it and they weren't, you know, the CIA is the best thing in the world. And even the show itself, it starts off saying the CIA isn't the best. You know, um, Carrie Matheson screws up. She's crazy. She screws up. And you go, well, you know, it's not perfect. So there, there's criticism about the CIA. There's criticism about Pakistan. There's criticism about a lot of things in the show. And what I think people love about it is it's 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 very close to what's happening. Well, it's funny. And it's also about your character, as you said. Yeah. You know, besides being this traitor, you, you're just an out-and-out -out liar, like to your yeah. wife. You know, your wife who has this wonderful job. And right. I'm, I'm guessing somewhere where it's you're jealous because yeah. she's up there. That's what happens with dysfunctional relationships. Yeah, you know, it's, you see, it's sort of the lie, like, degree oh, of this dysfunction. I'm going to go back to that school. I'm going to go back to Georgetown or wherever. Right. And it's then you lie. Totally and right. even when you were sitting there when you broke into Carrie's apartment. Right. And you poisoned her. I mean, you think about your like your character. People may not talk about this, but this is one of the most vile and vile yeah. characters yeah. for everything he's done. But because you look nice and you're a teacher, people sit there and think because like Walter White transformed into you know right Walter White. Mm -hmm. But for you, I mean, you think how much bad things you did with this character. I mean, just like it's someone if you met them, you'd want to punch him in the face. Right. It's worse than Walter White because Walter White you start to root for. Right. You know, he becomes bad, but you start to root for him. I, you know, I, there were there are things I've done in my career where I said, you know, if I had just murdered someone instead of letting my dog go in Mad Men, I'd be better liked. <laughs> but there, there are things you do, like betray your country, betray... Uh, Carrie Matheson, that people are just going to just... And you fact, poisoned, you fact, poisoned as, her. As you said, when people come up, <laughs> the funniest thing that happened was I went to a holiday party this year and someone gave me a gift and I opened it and it was a belt. <laughs> <laughs> How do you react to that? I, I laughed. Well, I laughed. Now, what do you, because you, you're on social media, yep. do you, did you get people like tweeting at you even though you don't really or, or face sending you messages or because see people you know it's like the old james garner yeah. story people used to try to start fights with james garner because he'd play a tough guy and it's like right well he doesn't go out to a bar to get in a fight he just goes out to the bar to probably have a scotch right you know what I mean? like have you ever been out where someone just comes up and is just pissed at you like you can see him like just sit there and just go uh, just that's probably the most unusual i mean you don't you're not thinking that when that happens and every once in a while someone's looking and you're just, I just don't like you or whatever right. it might be and you don't you, you look at them and you wonder why it hasn't happened that often thank God you know you haven't had but I've, I've heard of uh, friends of mine I've known that are big fellas six foot seven six foot eight will say you you will not believe how many times I've been in a bar and someone comes up to me and wants to fight me just because I'm six eight and they're huge it's not like and of course whoever's doing it's drunk usually oh yeah they have always been. drunk but why they want to pick on the biggest guy in the bar who knows? It's crazy. So now, what is it like? I mean, you're on these two shows. Mm. I mean, that must be great because you, you I mean, Madman shoots in LA. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And now when you went to uh, to Cape Town, how, had you been to Cape Town before? No, I've never been to Africa before. So, so what was that like? I mean, as an actor, it must be great when you sit there and you can, like people say when they shoot Hawaii 5 it's great because right. you get to go to Hawaii. But yeah. for this, it's like when they say, okay, you're going to be on a hit show. Right. And you're going to Cape Town. Now, where do you live when you go? How long How long were you in Cape Town? I was in this great hotel called the Mount Nelson, and they owe me a free room for just that plug right there. But um, 
it was a great old turn-of-the-century hotel. Um, South Africa is fascinating. Nelson Mandela is a, is a hero. There are issues there, political issues, things that are going on. I was there for three and a half months, so I got to learn about the country. Um, there's a lot of hope there. It may take a few generations to bring it to fruition, but as long as the educational system stays strong and they keep the money uh, moving to infrastructure and things like that, it's, it's a great place. Um, people are very hopeful. The townships are tough, um, tough places to live. Um, I went to Robben Island. Uh, the uh, ex-inmates uh, uh, are giving the tours. There's a l great things about it. You know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful country. There's a beautiful vineyard. It looks like Napa Valley with the vineyards okay. outside of it. And uh, also, you know, as, as a film buff, I could go to a museum and read about the Zulu Wars, which, you know, Michael Caine made a movie of called Zulu. So there's that whole aspect of, of the Dutch trading company being taken over by the British trading company and all that sort of thing. So it's fascinating. And they have shot films there for a long time because it does resemble California. Now, is that one of your favorite places to shoot? I mean, it's funny because you go from, you know, the yeah. Philippines in the yeah. beginning. I mean, where, where well, are some... Years ago when I first was an actor, there were films being shot there. And I was with an agency that would not send any actors there. Okay. Uh, because of apartheid. Uh, and so to go there now was great to actually be able to go because there were some offers years ago when they were making films there and we'd say, no, we're not going to go there. That's an awful place to be. Now, how does, how does like a, a place like that, how do they react when they're, they find out there's a Hollywood production? Because here, it's in our backyard. I mean, I, I live in Burbank, Frank Steiner. There's all, they're always shooting exactly. something. Well, always right there through. when I was there, Sean Penn was shooting his film. Okay. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen was shooting his film. Uh, there were commercials being shot there. There was Homeland being shot there. So we weren't the only. Uh, so it's really getting, yeah, sat they, not saturated, but it, but it's, no, it brings. It must be because they're saving, obviously, they're saving some money. Now, does that bother you that uh, that we don't shoot a lot of stuff in L.A. anymore? I mean, because you're you have kids. I mean, does right. It... Well, I think Jerry Brown's brought some initiative back to bringing uh, shooting it back, and we should because it's it, we have we have our whole infrastructure set up here. Right. Unfortunately, we've we've shipped it out to other places. Like the first thing we did is we shipped it out to Canada years ago, and instead of having one studio there, they have tons of studios there, and we did it because we were saving a dollar. But no matter where they can save a dollar is where film production is going to be, and if we can offer incentives here. It's better for everyone because this still is where most of the studios are and most of the talent is. Now, you said earlier you're a delegate for SAG. Or... I did this last last year, yes. What, what is that and how did you decide to get involved in that? Well, the merger happened between AFTRA and SAG and I had been following it closely. and I had a lot of friends that were working in the union and we need to do that because otherwise we won't get paid. Um, and so I got involved with it and found out basically a lot of it, what it was, how much hard work is being done by volunteers and how important it is to uh, actually future generations. They, you know, our young actors need to start to put some time into the union as well. So, now, have you ever done theater or commercials? Yeah, I started off doing theater. Okay. Like what? I mean, the, um, lately. Broadway, I mean, yes. I, 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 the last theater I did was probably about seven years ago off Broadway with Wendy Malick called Burley Grimes. It was about Burley. really, a, it was a, basically a hedge fund guy. A, a lawyer wrote it and it was a lot of fun. James Badge Dale was in it, Jason Antoon, Wendy Malick. Um, it was great. Uh, but I, I'd like to, I'd like to do it again. My kids are both in college now. I can go back to New York and do a play. I'd love to do that. Now, how did that come up? Cause it's weird. Cause you've been in all these TVs and movies and I said, most of your first love is you said you love right. theater, and most good actors, their first love is theater because mm -hmm. they can really, you know, as we call it in comedy, you, you work your chops. Exactly. That's how, you, that's how you get your chops. Yeah. Did someone approach you and said you want to be in this player? No, you, they did called you me up. They might have a agents in New York. They said, would you like to do this? There was something called Casa Valentina. I was very interested in doing it, but my son was graduating from high school. And so you look at it that way and you go, well, I won't be here for six months. Either I'm going to miss his high school graduation, his last year in our house, or I'm going to go do the play. So for me, it was always a balancing act with my family. If I didn't have children, I would have been doing theater throughout all these years. But fortunately for me, I was very fortunate to have many, two jobs, both Desperate Housewives and Mad Men, shoot right here in Los Angeles. Right. So, it, I mean, I could have been in Vancouver. I could have been in Albuquerque. I could have been other places. It was great that it was here because I could spend time with my kids and do the other things I did, which was coach a lot of their sports. Uh, I was a baseball coach for, I think, a dozen years with both my boys. I coached soccer. I coached some basketball. And I was able to do that as well, which was important to me. Now, when you do the theater, yeah. 
is it like a whole new pro- I mean, it, it's, it's frightening to go back to yeah, it because you, 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 it's not so much about the memorization because you have to memorize lines um, quickly anyway in, in television, almost overnight sometimes. But it's the idea that uh, you're going to stand up and, you know, from beginning to end, there's going to be no one yelling cut. So it brings up a different fear and it brings up a different uh, impulse in, in terms of entertaining a crowd. It's live every night. So you either get silence or they clap. And so there's gratification. Is it is it like a buzz? I mean, when you're sitting there, I mean, do you feel... Oh, it's an absolute high because, you know, coming up to opening night, you're just, you know, there's critics out there. You're trying to do well. You've got other actors. It's live. Anything can happen. And anything does happen oftentimes. Have you ever uh, flubbed any lines? Or what's the worst thing that's happened to you? On stage. Oh my on the- God! I've gone. I've gone totally up. I've seen actors go totally up. Their face goes blank. You don't know where you're going. Sometimes something <laughs> silly happens and you can't stop laughing. That see that I, that, I always love that. Like, stop laughing. I occasionally watch Saturday Night Live, and yeah. I, that's when I used to love when Fallon was on. They yeah. would just start laughing, and and yeah. as you know, think of old time TV. Kyle Burnett, you know, uh, Harvey Corman and Tim Conway. Right. Harvey Corman would just die laughing, and as for me, as a kid watching it. To me, that's funny. I, I think yeah. people sit there and go, no one ever, no one ever gets mad if you sit there, if you guys are in a, something and you start laughing. Yeah. No one ever gets mad at that because they think, well, they're human and it is damn funny. It is. And they unless go, how the, do they unless keep the play is a serious play, exactly. then it becomes, then it becomes, how am I going to stop laughing during this really, you know, ten, tender, <laughs> sensitive moment and I'm cracking up. So now, now, what, the last ship. Yeah. Now you played the president. Is that... I'm, I actually play. Uh, housing and urban development uh, guy who becomes uh, eventually he's one of the last he's the only survivor if you know it's a show about the plague hitting and survival and so uh, eventually that's where it's headed uh yeah. now when does that come out that's going to be out in june okay if you watch any of the basketball playoffs they're advertising it all the time but that, I, that's a big show that's a michael bay uh big show stephen kane now, Hank Steinberg, you know, it's it's a, it's a big show and it's a lot of fun. Now, how did that come about? Uh, did you read for that or did they know uh, you were? They actually um, wanted me to play the president. They said he'd be perfect for it. Let's get a Mark Moses type. And they went, hey, is Mark Moses available? Right. Oh, he is. Let's call him up. And that's how that happened. What is that like? I mean, that must be like as an actor. I mean, that must be like one of your biggest compliments saying, okay, you know, well, I, I played a real, I, I was a traitor against my country, but yeah. now I'm... Gonna the do, president of the country. I mean, president. when they sit there and say you're going to play, play the president, you must feel a little pressure because, I mean, I know it's only acting, right. but you're playing the president. Yeah, well, it's funny. You know, you walk to the set and everybody goes, Mr. President, Mr. Okay. President. <laughs> um, here comes the chief or whatever it might be. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, I've never played the president. So this was great. This was interesting. Um, uh, and in context of this show, uh, I think it really works well. It, it, it's a it's a fun season. It's an interesting season, and it's also a very ambitious show. They've got lots of action going on. It's big. Uh, we worked our tails off on it, and I think it's going to be a great year for it. When did that shoot? Where? I'm, that, I'm sorry, where? Oh, where? It shot at, in Culver City. Okay. I think the first year. I wasn't on the first year. The first year, they shot more in San Diego on the ships. This year, they built some sets. Okay. Because even though you and I own the ships... Uh, and we can use them without charge. They oftentimes are deployed at the last minute. Oh, Monday we'll shoot there. Oh, I'm sorry, it's deployed. Right. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, so they've had, they have issues getting on the ship. And once you get on the ship, you can't stop the bells and whistles and and construction going on or whatever's going on. You can't stop that. So you have to shoot through it. So it's much better to shoot in the set. They have sets built, and they'll probably build another one next year. That must be exciting, though. I mean, because you're. I mean, but must also though. I mean, when Mad Men was going on, mm-hmm. you know. But that must be sort of like. Well, bummed as, bummed as an actor because you're like, well, you know, I mean, you're part of TV history. I mean, and yeah. people know your character. It's not like, I mean, that's one thing. You, you've in this last right. year, you've had two very strong characters. And I think Homeland will go down as, you know, one of those shows. You can go, you know, Breaking Bad, Homeland. This. Yeah. I mean, what is that? And it must make you really proud of your work just because you've been part of two. I mean, yeah. Mad Men is like, I mean, it's so funny. You don't know how big it is until goes off. And then you sometimes like, don't know how big it is until you go to a foreign country, which is what happened with me. I remember the, a few of the actors on Nimrod and also um, Raza Jeffries were both on, uh, Nimrod Kaur, Raza Jeffries were both on the show. Um, he's from England and she's from India. It, it was enormous for her to be on the show. And I looked at her and I didn't realize how big it was. She was the only spokesman from India, but she was on Homeland. The fact that she was on Homeland right. was so big. For us, we have a lot of television shows, but that show is all over the world. And there are shows that are all over the world. And there are shows that we watch all the time 
that are not all over the world, but a show like Mad Men, Homeland, even Desperate Housewives, they have an international appeal. And then you finally find out that's why they're big. And you might do another show for six years, and maybe only you and I watch it because it's only you know, really shot or, or exposed us as Americans, but it, it, it is interesting. Now as an actor, I mean, what, what do you look for in, as in, in your next role? Because I mean, you've, as if you've, you've been part mm -hmm. of two shows that are just, you know, Emmy, Emmy award winning, Emmy nominated. Right. So as an actor, I mean, does that make you sit there and do you ever sit there and go, God, you know, I'm never going to get on a show like this again. Cause I think, there's not I many think shows like that, that as soon as you finish a show. I mean, I didn't know I was going to do Homeland. Until last year, I didn't know I was going to do Mad Men until I was sort of uh, sent to prison on Desperate Housewives, which at the time was kind of sad because all my other buddies are making a lot of money right. on that show and I'm going away. <laughs> but if I hadn't if I hadn't been sent to prison, I couldn't have done Mad Men. So, you know, that's that's the great thing about in terms of being an actor, it was much better I had to open those uh, stories up. And, and you look and people say, are you if you really want to plan something, you better produce it. You better produce your own film about a character you really want to play because you have to play this. Otherwise, if you're out there and looking for roles, you oftentimes are surprised. Certain roles turn out, start off one way and then just get more interesting. So you just want to play something different, challenging, um, something that scares you a little bit. How do you keep your schedule straight? Because I see like you've been on Criminal Minds, Blue Buds, this, and then you're on these two yeah. shows. I mean, is that is is there work you've missed because you're booked for something that you're sitting there going, yeah, God. Yeah, a friend of mine just did a film and said you were booked on last ship. We couldn't use you. Or you can't do this. You can do this. There was a, um, you know, Iron Man came out and I was supposed to play the general. And uh, I was so sad because I was doing this pilot with Wendy Malick. It was a great pilot, but the writer's strike happened and they dropped it. And in the meantime, Bill Smithrovich played the general. I said, I, so, I thought it was going to be on. He said, they cut it all out. That's not. And I was like, you know what? I so, I, Iron Man would have been so cool. My kids would love me. But they cut, they cut it all out. So it was gone. So it didn't matter. Now, what's coming up in the future? Is there any projects coming up? I mean, Last Ship's coming up. But now... Last Ship's coming up. Um, future projects, you know, right now, I'm not sure. After last year with Mad Men, with, uh, with Homeland, with uh, the killing before that, with Manhattan on on WGN. Um, right now, I'm I'm kind of glad I can go watch my kid graduate in June, and take a little break. What's happening next is I'm probably going to talk to my agents about possibly going to New York, maybe doing some stage work. I'd like to do that as I, as I mentioned, that's kind of what I would like to do right now. And, and do you want to do any comedy coming up, or are you? Uh, just, are, I would you... love to do a comedy. I haven't done one in such a long time. You, you must know, miss I it. it. I miss it because it's it's fun to laugh. I love I love. Comedy. And now what's great is because you've played these heavy characters. Yeah. When people see it at first, they're gonna like wait wait now, and then then you'll surprise them because they'll go, oh man, he's funny. I'm yeah. gonna end up like Leslie Nielsen. Is what I'm gonna end up like. <laughs> you know, I'll be doing uh, airplane or something. Now now your son's graduating Northwestern. Yes, he is. Okay, is he a communications major? Because that's a phenomenal communications. He school. is a communications major, so we're gonna go there, and it's, it's great. They just built a brand new building that he's never stepped foot in, but it's brand new. It's beautiful on the beach and he's he's finished his uh his and he's also been playing baseball there so he's had a really great time that's a really my a friend of mine i went to college with which is weird he's the soccer coach up there so oh, he is tim lenahan he's They're been doing there for very years. well every year they make the tournament and walker's got a ton of friends in the soccer teams because he used to play soccer and he actually got to throw the first ball out at wrigley oh man and i mean could you i mean have you ever done anything like that have you thrown a ball out or, or could, i sang the seventh inning stretch at wrigley field what was that like we have we have just a few it was awesome left. it I was mean, maybe the best perk that ever happened are you a big cubs fan i'm a big cubs fan i just went to, i was was in the bleachers in the second day. Okay, I was back in Chicago recently, so I saw the game. And the I heard you couldn't And pee. the Cubs are exciting. I know you can't. You have to go to the bottom. Okay, of the and they showed they're the line open. like yes, it was crazy. Gonna, nah, it was, it's okay. It's okay. It's, but it's a great time. It's still a great ball field, and I can't wait to keep watching them this year. How they approach you? They just said, "Hey, Mark, do you want to do you want to come sing?" Yeah, you... yeah, pretty much. I was on Desperate Housewives. They said, "You want to do it?" I said, "Are you kidding me?" They offered wow. me. They offered me a, a skybox. Oh, well, of course then. And I think I I think I set a record for how many friends in Chicago I could pack into it. That's funny. So I had a great time. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Hey, thank uh, you. Now, Twitter, is it Mark Moses? Or what's your Twitter? Yeah, it's at Mark Moses uh, 6 I think. That's my Twitter. I'm going to follow you. Hey, please you, do. You got to tweet a little bit. What I better tweet? tweet more. I better tweet and say I did this show today. Yeah, and when you know, it goes up on the, on my site. And, you and they can uh, they can watch it on, it's a it's a podcast, right? Well, they listen to it. And listen to it. Yeah. Or, yeah they can great. just listen to it whenever. And I'll, I'll probably put your episode up on Saturday. Or of course, I can listen to it. It's radio, right? Exactly. I know that. Yeah, but you know, of course. So, put anyway. makeup on. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
Go, go follow Mark Moses Six at Twitter. Also follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Also go to my website, CooperTalk.net, where I have over 375 episodes. Uh, you can also email me, please. Tell me what kind of guests you like. Next week we have comic uh, Joey Diaz. We have Ace Freely's drummer Matt Starr and a girl named Adley Spagnolia, who is. She plays the guitar and sings these comedy songs, but she has 1.2 million Twitter followers, which is amazing. And and they're not they're not fake. You can tell the fake people the fake ones because people go from like five Twitter followers to like 90,000, and they're all these weird names. So go do that. Uh, email me, as I said, Cooper at CooperTalkNet. And also go to my other uh, website, StopTheSalt.com, StopTheSalt. You know, when I got out of the hospital a few, almost three years ago, um, I had to change my diet a lot. So it's a low-sodium cooking book. It's for eating for one. It's very easy. The recipes, there's no long list of ingredients, no pictures, because we all get intimidated when we see the pictures and we see the ingredients, we're like, cumin, I don't have cumin. And then you just get distracted. There's a little key up front. So go there, buy it off that site. You can go to Amazon or Barnes or Noble, but if you buy it from my site, one, I can autograph it. Two, it's the same price. Three, I make more money. So it's all about trying to make some money. So yeah, so I want to thank my guest, Mark Moses. I'll follow him at Mark Moses 6 He's going to tweet more. I'm Steve Cooper. Follow me at Cooper Talk. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. You guys have a great weekend.